is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here, and I'm glad that you're here with us today. I'm, we're thinking about growing things today, and um, produce is that kind of year when people are kind of getting into the harvest mode. And so I want you to start by talking to your neighbor or somebody close by you, your favorite kind of produce. You have a favorite thing you like to eat, like, I'm thinking produce, like fresh out of the garden, not like Doritos, okay? <laughs> fresh produce. What's your favorite kind of produce? Talk to your neighbor about what your favorite is. What's your favorite? Asparagus. Asparagus. Oh. Asparagus. Uh-huh. Nice yeah, nice, nice, nice. Okay. It just occurred to me by looking at the picture on the screen that that looks an awful lot like Steve Jordan. But Steve, that's not you growing cucumbers. You grow cucumbers? No. Okay, all right. Here's uh, the basic idea for today, and that is that living things grow. All living things grow. And we've been thinking about disciples. We're living things. So how would we measure our growth? How would we know if we're growing? We're going to use a passage in John 15 to help us figure that out this morning. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, turn to John 15, starting with verse 1. John 15. And you'll notice that it starts with uh, garden talk and produce talk and vine talk in this passage, John 15. One of the things that helps us grow is when we pray for each other, so I'll offer this prayer on your behalf. The Lord be with you. John 15, verse 1. I am the vine... And my father is the gardener. Now, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So the whole thing today is living things grow. And since we are living things, 
we should be growing. But there is a little bit of a question about how we measure that growth. What does it look like to measure growth? So I thought it would help you to see some visual reminders of this. And so that first picture is uh, the, the world's longest cucumber. And this actually is a world record cucumber, and it was set just about a week ago in Poland. Um, would you like to guess how long it is? Can you read that on the tape? Three foot eight inches of cucumber. Does anybody like cucumbers that much? Maybe. Okay, the next one is a, the world's heaviest cucumber. Okay, so just because it was long doesn't mean it was the heaviest. This is the heaviest cucumber from the United Kingdom. Some people were trying to read the, the thing on his card there. It's in kilograms. Can you make a quick conversion? 12 kilograms? 12.9? 23, 23 pounds. 23 pounds, 8 ounces. Okay? But that's not the world's biggest cucumber. Here's a picture of the world's biggest cucumber. <laughs> this is in uh, Picklefest in Pittsburgh, I think, which is where Heinz is located. So that's a giant uh, pickle. But it's not the biggest pickle fest. I guess pickle fests are a thing. Would you like to guess where the world's biggest pickle fest is held? Anyone? Baltimore, Maryland. And it's called the Big Dill. I guess it's a big deal if you go to the Pickle Fest. This is coming in September, September 23, 24, and 25, so you can still go if you want to, but I'll caution you. I went online to see if I could buy tickets for this, and a lot of the tickets were sold out for the special events. But I don't know. There's like a whole culture around this. You can go get, you know, pickled beer and pickled pizza and all kinds of pickled things to eat and pickled T-shirts, pickleware. There's like a whole culture around being a... A pickle fanatic, apparently. Okay? Now, we're talking not about pickle culture. We're talking about disciple-making culture. And what we're thinking is that there's a whole lifestyle around being a disciple, too. And that's what we're trying to figure out here in these last few weeks of um, messages to try to figure out what does it look like. The idea behind this uh, of growing disciples is that all the images in Scripture for growing as a disciple are all um, organic, kind of farmy images. I mean, we live in a culture where we think of things maybe more mechanical, like an assembly line, like we think there's a conveyor belt, and if we take person A and put them on the conveyor belt on this end, and we pass them through this system of things, then they come out on the other end, voila, you're a disciple, fully formed and ready to go. That's how we often think of things. The Bible doesn't think about things like that at all. The Bible talks about things like uh, a tree planted by streams of living water, which grows and flourishes in season and bears fruit. It talks about seeds um, being planted in the dirt, in the right kind of dirt, in the right kind of conditions so that the seed grows and produces 30 or 60 or 100 times the fruit that it can bear. It, the Bible talks about families and nurturing children and helping children to grow in a process so that they mature and develop into full-grown disciples. This is the image that the Bible uses, and this is actually the image that we have right here in the, in the passage we just read. I'm just going to read a couple selective verses from this and see if you can't hear the, the pattern that's being developed there. Actually, first, before I do that, I want you to listen to the verse that launched this, and it was 1 John 2, verse 6. The main mark of a disciple is someone who, who claims to follow Jesus should live like Jesus lives. 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. 
that we are disciples who are trying to grow more and more like Jesus, we can actually be like him. The pushback against this is like, you know what, Jesus was the son of God. He had all these miraculous and amazing powers. We can't do everything that Jesus did. And we certainly aren't the saviors of the world as Jesus did. But Jesus was also fully human. And in every way that he was human, we are told to like, live like that, to be like Jesus. And we think it is possible, especially since the Bible tells us we're supposed to live as Jesus did. So we're the kind of people who believe this is true. And we've been using these four chairs to kind of illustrate the process of becoming more like Jesus. So the first chair in this uh, process was the seeker, the person who says, I want to know more about Jesus. I'm curious, but I have not yet put my faith in him completely. There's like a line of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They haven't crossed that yet, but they're exploring it. And that leads then, once you cross the line of faith, to the second chair, which is the, the believer, the new believer, the person who just comes to faith and is, is geeked out about Jesus and excited to learn more, is anxious and enthusiastic to discover everything they can discover about Jesus, and that makes them a new believer, which then matures and develops as they grow into the third chair, which we call the, the abider or the worker, the, the person who says, I've discovered now that coming to faith in Jesus Christ isn't just for me, it's also for the sake of other people. So I discover my gifts, I figure out how I can serve other people, I figure out how I can keep growing, and the thing that keeps me from burning out in that service is I spend time with Jesus, I abide with him. And over time we develop then to the fourth chair where we are multipliers or reproducers or leaders, where we become the kind of people who say, I'm going to intentionally invest and others who are also in this journey to figure out how they can grow more and more like Christ. And we recognize that this is a process, and there's walls that come up between each of these spots that can become barriers, that we get stuck at one place or another, and we have to try to figure out how to overcome those walls. And Steve gave us some very helpful imagery last week in saying it might be better to think of these chairs around a table than in a line that we do sometimes go back and forth from one chair to another depending on the seasons in our life, depending on the walls that we've come up against, we might go backwards. But in the middle of the table is Jesus, and this is where we are nourished and strengthened to become more like him, and he's overseeing this process and actually way more interested in this whole process than we are. So this is the process we believe everybody's engaged in, and how do we grow in this? This is the question for today. And I'm going to start by refreshing our minds about John 15, which started, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Organic, farmy imagery that God wants to grow us. He's making us into disciples. How does that happen? Listen to see if you can't pick up on the clue about how that happens. John 15, Jesus said, Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, abide in my love. Anybody want to guess about one clue to growing as a disciple? Abide. 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 Some of your versions probably use the word remain. 
remain in me, stay in me, sit in me, abide in me. So I thought it might be helpful if I look at three steps that might help us grow in abiding. And the first step is to cultivate patience, that we need to cultivate patience. Now, growth can be hard because growth brings change and change can be hard. We typically, as individuals, are wired not to like change. We're typically wired to like where we're at. We like our routines. We like our routines even if they become ruts. Even if our routine is not good for us, we tend to stick with the routine that we know. We don't like change. Change can be hard. And to think about that, it might help you to think about things that we oftentimes try to change, like diet. We might know that we're not doing the best on our current dietary plan, but is it easy to change or not? No, it's hard to change because we like our routines. What about um, a new workout plan? I'm going to get in shape. Easy or hard to make a change? can be very hard because we like our routines. We like our rut. What about living in a, a broken relationship? It's not right. It's not good, but we know it. It's what we're comfortable with. We're in a routine. We're in a rut. And so change can be very difficult. So change requires patience. Growth requires patience. And in this regard, our growth spiritually is probably a lot more like growing a tree than growing a cucumber. I'll just warn you. It's a long-term process. And I think about this in my own life. It was like when I try to change something, I would like somebody to come up with the two-day fitness plan. I don't want to do the 90-day fitness plan. I want to do the two days and I'm in shape. If, the, if someone wants to come up with the ideal diet plan, what I would really like is I would like the overnight diet. Wouldn't that be a great plan? Because I don't want to work on making these big changes. Or if I'm going to learn a new skill, what I want someone to do is wave a magic wand. Because we take these trips to Guatemala, I've been thinking for a couple years, I need to learn Spanish so that I can communicate better while I'm down there. Have I done it yet? No, because no one has waved a magic wand over me so that I can learn to speak Spanish. Change can be hard. We like things to be done quickly. Uh, when I'm hungry, I like a microwave dinner heated up like that. So here's the clue for growing disciples. There's no microwave involved in this. It takes patience. It takes time. It's a process. We invest in it over time, day by day by day, week by week by week, year by year by year. And that's the reason why we actually are continuing in our discussion about discipleship into the fall. This wasn't just like a four weeks, summertime, let's think about four chairs of discipleship. It's a plan that we have as a community to say, we're going to invest in growing disciples, and we know that's going to take a lot of time. There's an interesting survey that was taken that shows that only about 28% or about one in three Christians are involved in disciple-making relationships. And if we're average, which I don't know if we are or not, that means that about two out of three of us aren't involved in disciple-making either being made as a disciple or making someone else. We want to change that. We know that's going to take time, which is going to take patience, which is, incidentally, why we've been promoing the Like Jesus app. And um, we have some really new technology that they told me was available for my usage, which is 
They could mirror my phone on the screens. So whatever I'm looking at, you could see. And uh, of course, we had a great disaster in the first service and discovered that I couldn't get it to work or I'll take full responsibility for not being able to make it work. So we couldn't show you. So now we've worked up the magic of, I'm gonna scroll through my phone and you're gonna see Dan's phone from the tech booth, okay? And this is on the Jesus app. You got that, Dan? And um, it gives us some interesting information which helps us recognize the long-term nature of this uh, process. Well, maybe we're not going to get Dan's phone either. <laughs> oh, it's up there. All right. Good job. Okay. So what I really liked about this was the dashboard, which shows us what is possible for us to measure. Because they say that what you measure matters. And so now I got to see what he's looking at. The circles, okay? So we recognize these circles represent different people around the chair. And we actually have a dashboard. Do you have the church's dashboard on there? Which shows that we've got 22 unbelievers, 26 believers, and 38 people in the accountability circle that we're actually already praying for. And this actually jumped 11 since 8 o'clock this morning. So somebody in the first service must have gone in here. And what you can do is you can actually enter people that you're praying for. And we're doing this to give ourselves a tool that will help us over time to be engaged. And then it also shows us how many people have taken the four-chair assessment. I think he's got that up there. If you scroll down the four-chair assessment, you see that currently we're at about 12% in the first chair, which is fantastic. You know, that means we've got some people who are part of our community who have not yet put their faith in Jesus, but they feel safe here going, I want to know more. I'd like to discover more. I'd like to be in conversation. I'd like to learn more about what that means. It says we've got 54% of the people in chair two and then about 20% and about 14%. That's changed since the beginning of this service. So somebody must have been taking their, their app just a few minutes ago and doing their assessment. This tells us that we've got people in all these chairs and as a people, we want to try to figure out how to grow from one chair to the next. And we know this, it takes time. No microwave disciples. Over time we grow. And that we hit walls. And there's actually something interesting that we might be bearing out here in our assessment. And that is the place where the wall is most likely to be erected for people in moving, the place people are most likely to get stuck, is in chair two. And it looks like we've got 54% of our people there. I don't know if they're all stuck. But it's hard to move past that into these other two chairs. So as a community, um, in our small groups, We'll try to discern how do we grow past that? How do we move into this next chair? And that's the kind of thing we're committed to, and we're going to be patiently working through that over the next several months. And so if you have not yet taken your assessment, we invite you to do that, and you can become part of this little uh, tool that we're using. It's a tool that helps us uh, be patient, but it's also a tool that cultivates focus. It helps us to figure out what we're going to look at as being most important. And this brings up discipleship issues that we can focus on together in our groups to help us all continue to grow. We need focus and we need to cultivate focus in order to grow as disciples. You know, um, I said one of the first weeks, it's not that, uh, that discipleship is happening everywhere. The question isn't, are you being discipled? The question is, are we being discipled by Jesus? Because all these other things that are giving us input constantly, day in and day out, they're all shaping us to be that certain way. Are we being discipled by Jesus? 
Focusing on Jesus is so important, we need to focus on that. Do you know the story that's in Matthew 14? Matthew 14 has the story of Jesus' disciples getting into a boat and going across the lake. And as they're partway across the lake, suddenly a fierce storm whips up. And these guys who are like seasoned fishermen, they're used to being out in the boat, are terrified because the storm is so ferocious. And as they're fighting against the storm, they look out on the horizon. What do they see? They see someone walking across the water coming toward their boat. And this scares them even more because they can't tell who it is, who would be coming toward us, what is going on here. As the figure comes a little bit closer, they, so- they soon realize the person walking on the water is Jesus. He's coming out to their boat in the middle of this storm. And all the disciples stay in the boat except for one, Peter, who's so excited to see Jesus, gets up, climbs over the edge of the boat, gets on the water, and he starts walking on water toward Jesus. And then at this point in the story, it says something very interesting. If you go read it in Matthew 14, it says, and then Peter saw something. What did he see? The storm. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He starts looking around, and he goes, oh, no. Now I'm in trouble. I'm not in the boat anymore. I'm walking on water, and there's a storm all around me. And immediately after he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sink. And Jesus swoops down and picks him up, lifts him up out of the water, carries him to the boat, and he's back in the boat safe and sound. This is how important focus is. Focusing on Jesus will help us move through whatever storms we're facing in life. We need to cultivate focus if we're going to grow as disciples. And this focus then leads to the third thing, which is steadfastness, that the more we're able to focus on Jesus, the more we're able to weather the storms that come. Now, I don't have to even know all of your specific details to know this truth about every one of us. We all face storms in life, every one of us. And some of these storms are very personal. And it might be because you've got some kind of diagnosis, some kind of health diagnosis that's all of a sudden whipped up a storm in your life. Or you've got some kind of relational breakdown with a spouse or with a kid or with a friend. The relationships are disintegrating, so you've got a storm whipped up in your life. Or maybe there's some other personal kind of crisis where you feel uh, betrayed or abandoned, or you feel alone, lonely, or some deep grief. You've lost someone that you've loved, and a storm is whipped up in your life. And in the middle of this storm, how do we remain steadfast? You know, these storms are some of these walls that come up that keep us from growing. We become anxious, we become afraid, we start to doubt. And it's not just personal storms. Sometimes it can be communal storms, like our community is faced with storms. Sometimes there's tragic things that happen. There can be a derecho, there can be terrible storms. This creates a tragedy, a storm in our life, literally. Or maybe it's a pandemic. Or maybe it's an economic injustice or some other grave injustice in our community, and that's impacting you to the point where you go, this has whipped up some storm. I don't know if I can continue to grow. How do I remain steadfast in the middle of this storm? If we're going to cultivate abiding, we cultivate steadfastness. Now, there's something interesting about the organic nature of these these qualities, patience and focus and steadfastness. And the staff, Steve and Gary and I, had a little interesting discussion on Tuesday about this, about kind of a chicken or the egg question. 
you know, what comes first? Do I have to have patience and then I abide? Or as I abide with Jesus, do I get more patience? Do I have to whip up a focus on Jesus and that helps me abide? Or as I abide with Jesus, do I spend, do I have a greater focus? Can I make myself more steadfast? Or does abiding in Jesus make me more steadfast? And the answer to the question is yes. It's organic in nature. And it's, a, it's kind of a mysterious thing how we grow in these moments. But that if I have a little patience to abide with Jesus, you know what fruit grows out of that? More patience. If I start to focus a little bit on Jesus, a little more, discover a little more who he is and abide with him a little bit more, what comes from that? What's the fruit of it? More focus. If I can have a little steadfastness, I'm going to hold tight in the middle of the storm and stay put in the hands of Jesus a little longer and abide with him, what's the fruit of that? More steadfastness. Now, we love this time of year, you know, because we get to harvest, we get the fruit of our labors, and one of the principles that comes with every living thing grows is that growth brings more growth. And we know this is true, especially in produce, because we start with these little tiny plants and they're not producing anything, and then they grow big enough, and ah, it's the first cucumber of the year, yay! And then the vine grows more and more and more until pretty soon it's producing so much stuff, we have to sneak over to the neighbor's house and ditch cucumbers on their patio because we don't want to eat them. I'm going to show you what I picked off my cucumber vine this morning, just this morning. There's, there's 11 cucumbers in this basket. This was this morning's harvest, and here's the truth. By about Wednesday or Thursday of this week, there'll be a whole nother basket full of cucumbers. Growth brings growth. And we love to harvest the fruit. We love it. The same thing is true with disciples. The more we grow in patience and focus and steadfastness, the more patience and steadfastness and focus grows. This is how God works in all of us. And we do this together as a community and we see fruit. There's nothing better than celebrating the fruit. You had the picture of grapes up there because one of my favorite produces is grapes. I love grapes. So Mary will buy this big old bag of grapes and stick it in the fridge and then like two days later she'll come and go, I was going to make some kind of salad with grapes. Where are the grapes? Like I ate them. I ate them all because I love the fruit of it. What a great thing if we could be the kind of community that produced more disciples. Disciples who make disciples. Wouldn't that be an amazing fruit? And if those disciples, all of us, produce fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, if we bore fruit like that, wouldn't that be great? You know how that fruit comes? By abiding. Dear Lord God, I give you thanks for this day and for these good disciples who are here today gathered and those who are watching online. God, we know that you want to grow fruit and you've promised that you would grow fruit if we would simply abide in you. So help us to abide. And we will be careful to give you thanks for all the good you do. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.